Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast, and as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Welcome to season two of A Million Other Choices. I am still your host, Kim. notice I moved to a Monday release, just because I figured a lot of you listen while commuting or maybe while you're at work. So you're welcome. Unless you listen at home on Sundays, then my apologies. Now, I'm not going to get all mushy and feely on you. But I can't even begin to thank all of you for the support and the personal messages and the follows and the downloads and everything that came with telling my niece's story in the last couple of weeks. Every single one of you, thank you. I appreciate you and I wish that I could acknowledge every single one of you personally. Now, having said that, Today's episode was put together a few weeks ago, when I was still a small and obscure little podcast out there. So let's just say my success has grown a bit faster than my editing and production skills. After all, I am just a simple accountant with a podcast. I don't have a professional editing team like a lot of the podcasts that you might be used to listening to. Now the listeners out there that have been around since the beginning know that I like to put in audio clips when I can because I think it just helps you bring you into the events a bit more. And being that I don't have any kind of budget, 
I use public domain clips, 911 calls, police interviews, where the audio just comes in its very raw state. But when I was researching today's story, I came across this great documentary that was made locally here. I found it on Calgary Youth Link's Police Interpretation Center website, which you can find at youthlinkcalgary.com. The Police Interpretation Center, which is like our police museum here, is a great resource which has events for kids and for adults. And I noticed that before COVID, they had discussions with homicide detective Dave Sweet that you could attend, which would be amazing. So I really hope that they bring those kinds of events back after COVID finally dies out. Anyways, I reached out to them and Fallon over there was amazing and gave me permission to use some of the audio from it. However, coming from a video file with music and sound effects embedded in it, and then trying to extract that out, well, it's a bit over my pay grade. So in places you'll hear someone talking and kind of wonder what that noise is in the background. So just ignore it, pretend it's the most professional thing you've ever heard, and thank you so much to YouthLink Calgary. The events in today's story literally transformed the Calgary Police Service, so it's a pretty important story, and one that I don't think that too many of you probably know about. My other sources for today are the Calgary Herald and Vancouver Sun. I don't think there are any specific trigger warnings for this case, unless you are adverse to glue sniffing. We are going to start in 1971, the year I was born. Yes, I am that old. I was not living in Calgary yet. I moved here in 1978 when I was seven, but a lot has changed in the city since then. Not just the style of the cars and the fashion, but we've had a ton of urban sprawl since the 1970s. Neighborhoods that are now suburbs didn't exist, and suburbs considered a commute back then are now considered practically inner city. So picture Calgary when Kmart was still around and Woolco, boxy-looking cars and plaid suit jackets. Pierre Trudeau is Prime Minister. Bobby Orr opened the 1971 Stampede Parade. Peter Lougheed was Premier of Alberta. And Rod Sykes was our mayor. There's an interesting story that Rod had managed to get himself and the entire city of Calgary cursed by Victoria Crowchild, daughter of the chief David Crowchild of the Sarsi First Nation tribe by excluding the Sarsi tribe from the 1972 Calgary Stampede. And it was taken seriously enough that he implored George Crawford, the then president of the Stampede Board, to do something about it to appease them. In the end, it all ended well enough and the curse was lifted. But first, we are in Edmonton, where 22-year-old Philippe Laurier-Gagnon has been convicted of rape and is serving time in prison. Philippe was a glue-sniffing addict and described by some of his family as, quote, mental. Politically correct wasn't exactly a thing back then. I can't find any information on the rape case itself, but he was serving a three-year sentence, and prior to this he had been committed twice to a psychiatric hospital due to the effects on his mental state of the glue-sniffing. Glue sniffing is also known as huffing. It is the inhaling of chemicals used in model airplane glue or aerosol cans. The high you get is extremely short-lived and can give you a temporary feeling of euphoria, but also hallucinations. 
However, it is extremely dangerous. It is done typically by young people because it's cheaper and more accessible than other street drugs. The side effects of huffing or sniffing are acute respiratory failure, long-term brain damage, heart arrhythmia and heart failure, seizures, choking on your own vomit. It really sounds like a good time. So when he was released on parole, he was still heavily addicted to glue. On the day that his parole expired, he packed up his belongings, which included an arsenal of weapons, and moved to Calgary, getting a job at the Pinecrest Poultry at 2126 Hurst Road South Each, which is now currently Lilydale Foods. On November 13, 1974, he introduced himself as Phil to Mr. and Mrs. Dave Shores, who owned the house at 1034 9th Avenue Southeast. Philippe said he needed a place within walking distance to his work, paid his first month's rent, and moved into their converted garage. The garage had been converted into what has been described as a granny suite. I believe these days we call them in-law suites, which is only slightly more politically correct. He hadn't been there long, but started out as a quiet and unassuming neighbor. Philippe picked the ideal grocer, now called the Dandelion Cafe, located two blocks from his converted garage owned by Rose de Mullingry as his model glue supplier. Only Rose was no dummy and knew exactly what Philippe was using the glue for. Philippe had purchased 27 bottles of Tesla's glue in one week. So at 1.14 p.m. on Friday, December 20th, 1974, the last payday before Christmas, when Philippe stumbled into her store again, she refused to sell to him. Philippe immediately became belligerent and frightened Rose, so much so that she called the police and drew a sketch of Philippe for them. Philippe's parting words to Rose were, quote, If you call the police, you're in trouble, end quote. Constable Harvey Gregorish pulled up outside the store. I received a dispatch call because there was a guy coming in buying between 10 and 15 tubes of model airplane glue. Rose launched into her story of Gingon's glue purchase, and just then, Gingon happened to return at that very moment. Rose looked at him and pointed at Gingon, who bolted from the store. Gregor Ash leaped into his cruiser and followed after him. Glue sniffers aren't exactly athletes, so he was stumbly and not moving as fast as he probably was hoping he was. Gregorash pulled up alongside him, rolled down his window. It's 1974, so he really did have to roll down his window. And asked, Would you like to get in the car? I'd like to talk to you about purchasing some glue. Gagnon said no way and that he was going home. He then darted between two homes, and although Gregorash lost sight of him, a few neighbors saw him stumbling past and directed him to the converted garage on 9th Street. He started running, and I chased him. And uh, there was a gentleman on the street. He says, I watched him, and he went right into that garage over there. Harvey knocked on the locked door of the unit, and then, very smartly and possibly with some insight, called for backup. Constable Tom Dick and Mel Lim came to assist me. Jim Bergen. And then Sergeant Ben Robinson also said, I'll be over. And so I thought, okay, he'll be all right. Dick hollowed through an open window. Come on out, 
we just want to talk to you. To which Gangnon replied, come in and get me. Well, back in those days, that's what you did. You got an invitation to come and get you. Well, I'll, we'll come in and get you. So now Lin Wen went in door, one door, Tommy went in the windows, opened the door for me, and I went in the other door. In the darkness, they found Gagnon in a bedroom with a plastic bag over his head, inhaling glue, a rifle in his hand. Now Lin hollered, he's got a rifle. And as soon as I heard that, I grabbed my radio. I hollered, this is a cold red man with a rifle. All of a sudden, I could see him. He's got the rifle at me. Harvey leapt behind an old desk and the first shot grazed him above his right eye. Thomas was shot in the hip. The bullet was stopped by the wallet in his pocket, a sheer miracle. The three officers managed to get out and hunkered behind their cruisers and shouted for backup into their radios. Tom Barrow. I was attending a meeting with Chief Brian Sawyer, and some individual come running in and said, Chief, Chief, You've got to get out here. We have a shooting of some kind. Officer Kit Sylvester. We got a radio call uh, that this, as is known now, Code 300 was going on. Officer Doug Bolton. I run into Ernie Hetherington, who was my boss in support, and he told me that there was a big shootout taking place over in southeast Calgary. And then the next thing you know, there was policemen coming all over the place for help, you know, and uh, thank God. Gangnong locked the door behind him and started firing randomly through the walls with his 22 caliber and another rifle that he had altered to fire automatically. His garage was also loaded with boxes of ammunition. And as we're going down the hall, there's a frantic call come in. We're running out of ammunition. We're pinned down. We have no ammo. Someone get ammo. So I ran back to the property room, and I got a couple of cases of 38 Special. Chaos ensued with officers coming to aid from all parts of the city. Houses surrounding the area were evacuated. One of the officers that had arrived on the scene was 43-year-old Detective Boyd Davidson, a hulking bear of a man and former football player who was a father to five children and was scheduled to be the office Santa Claus. When Tom Dick and uh, his partner had gone in, they saw him with a 22 rifle. We didn't know, nor did they at that time, that they also had a 30 out 6 Phil Shores, the owner of the garage, drew the police a picture of the inside of the apartment unit. Phil had dug a six-foot pit in the center of the floor where he was going to be putting a furnace. The furnace was never installed, and the empty pit remained. Clearly, Gangnong was firing from this pit, essentially protecting himself from the officer's bullets. The framing of the garage was two-inch wood, enough to stop the officer's bullets, but not enough to stop bullets fired from Gangnong's rifle. 
By this point, more than 100 police officers had shown up with a variety of rifles, shotguns, and handguns. They had come, whether ordered to or not, and all were in danger. Some of these officers included Nick Graham, Ben Robinson, Doug Bolton, Jim Bergen, Kit Sylvester, and Tom Barrow. Officers were being hit, one in the hand, one in the shoulder, another in the throat. Ambulances would cart away the wounded, only to return to the scene to gather another officer. I knew that I was going to the ground, and when I saw the blood, I was worried. I thought, oh shit. Roy had come running over at that particular time, and uh, I said, you know, get a pad, get get something and put on this hole. Hey, he couldn't find anything, so I told him to stick his finger in the hole and keep it there until we, until we were able to get out. And he probably saved my life. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We'd only been there a few minutes. All of a sudden, there was a concussion. And I felt it, and it backed me up, and I got this spray in my eyes. And Bev had taken a high-caliber round. I'm looking, and I'm thinking, geez, Nick, don't do that. And he gets up, and he's peeking out. Boom. And Nick's head went back, and a giant plume of bright red blood came flying off his head. And down he went. And I thought, oh my God, he's dead. I saw Ben Robinson come up and put himself over top of, of Nicky Graham. And I can still hear Benny hollering, Nick, you son of a bitch, don't die, Nick, don't die. Oh, Nick, you son of a bitch, don't die. And fortunately, he didn't die. He, uh, he lived to be a good old age. Uh, he was an Irishman. You couldn't kill him by shooting him in the head, that's for sure. There was commotion, and I heard somebody say out, and I don't know who it was, Boyd Davidson's been shot. Boyd Davidson crouched down to cover the officers that were tossing tear gas canisters into the open window of the garage. Gagnon's bullet tore through the walls of the garage and hit Officer Davidson in the neck. Tear gas was useless against Gagnon, as he was pretty much immune to the toxic chemicals of the gas canisters due to his years of glue sniffing. Davidson was dead. 
officers came to the decision that they were officially in over their heads and did not have the equipment available to end the siege, and made a call to the Canadian forces. In 1974, Calgary Curry Barracks was still operating. With police escorts, an armored tank made its way through 330 traffic, with three soldiers inside, of the Princess Patricia's Light Infantry, led by Frank Lillies. When he saw the tank pull up to the edge of his yard, Gangyong shouted, Come on, army! Captain Merv McMurray decided the sledgehammer approach was best, and rammed the tank into the side of the garage. Until that army machine showed up, we were just stuck with the little bit of weaponry we had, which wasn't a hell of a lot. Just like a rearing horse and the tracks were spinning, there was wood flying, there was shingles flying, and it just blew the, the one corner right out of that garage. Eventually driving 20 feet inside, and disintegrating the structure of the garage. Gagnon, now exposed, made a desperate run for it, firing wildly as he ran. At this point, I had not fired a shot. And I had my gun out, and I get down on one knee and I'm braced beside the, the building. And I look up and I can see the door move. I could just barely see that door move. And I showed it to the guys. I showed it something about, he's coming out, he's coming out, get ready. Gangnong encountered a literal hailstorm of bullets and was shot 21 times. And it just stood the man right up straight. And he froze in midair for a second. The entire shootout lasted only two hours. Seven officers were wounded and one, Boyd Davidson, and Santa Claus Standion was dead. Boyd was not tall, but he was wide. He was 320 pounds. And he would be the perfect guy to be the office Santa Claus, because he was built like that. And he had a twinkle in his eye and a nice smile, and God, he would be, he'd be a perfect grandfather. And he never lived to be that grandfather. But I, I think about that often, often enough, yeah. Boyd was a super, 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 super man. He really was. Yeah. Everything was everything to him. So no surprise that he would have been the first to be out there with a shotgun. And they said he was a marvel to watch kick down a door because most guys back up and hit it with their foot. Well, Boyd, he had this great big barrel of a chest. When he hit that door and it would just disintegrate, he would just, he would bulldoze that door down. If something was going on and it was, you needed somebody, Boyd would be there to help. Initially called the Inglewood Siege for the neighborhood on 9th Street, it was renamed Black Friday. There is a playground at Acadia Elementary School named after Detective Davidson. What remained of the garage unit was torn down. At the time of his death, Detective Davidson was a 23-year veteran of the force who had been instrumental in the creation of the Combined Police and Fire Arson Squad, 
He was survived by his wife and five children. In March of 1975, an inquiry was held into the death of Detective Boyd and Philip Gagnon. It was heard before Justice Brian Stevenson and a six-person jury. In the shooting, approximately 190 rounds of ammunition were fired from police-issued 38 caliper revolvers. The inquiry looked into the tactical approach used, of which there really wasn't any because Calgary Police Service men and women in 1974 were not provided proper training in tactical procedures. In a city that only had 400,000 people in 1971 and a homicide rate of around four or five killings a year, 90% of which were done by methods other than firearms, there seemed little need. The inquiry found issues with communications, control of the scene, and overall command not established, and paramedics put at risk. In the end, it was the army that was praised for their work in ending the siege. However, police without tactical training and with ineffective weapons went willingly into a risky situation knowing the potential peril they were facing and should be praised for their bravery. Back in 1968 in Los Angeles, California, a special weapons and tactical unit had been created in the LA Police Department due to several sniping incidents during the Watts Riots. If you're not familiar with the Watts Riots, basically in 1965 a police incident involving an African-American family and white officers caused a commotion in the neighborhood of Watts in LA. Racial tensions were already high over the overturning of the Rumford Fair Housing Act designed to remedy residential segregation by Proposition 14 in 1964, which was sponsored by the California real estate industry and supported by a majority of white voters, and riots were sparked lasting four days. The LA tactical team is now known as the SWAT team. In October 1975, Gary Lammers and Charlie Duke of the LA SWAT team came to Calgary to provide a seminar in advanced police tactics, and Calgary Chief of Police at the time, Brian Sawyer, found the seminar to be a helpful exchange of ideas for the program development of Calgary's new tactical team, which Kit Sylvester was a part of, directly created as a result of the Gangnon incident. Lammers said at the time that the LA SWAT team may only get called out a few times a week, if at all but considered their work very important because, quote, we are called to save the lives of other police officers or citizens in hostile situations, end quote. It was a harrowing experience, really, but I guess one could say not only I, but the police department at that particular time learned a world of, of things to do the information that was gained. The difference between then and now is like day and night. And today, with the training, it's daylight. And then now, look what they got on this force now. They're probably the best tact team you can find in the world. At least in Canada, for sure, you know. And I'm sure proud of being a part of it, <laughs> yeah. You've got some of the finest here to protect you with the training and the equipment they got. And I think that's the best thing that came out of this. In 40 years, it's changed for 
one hell of a lot better than what it ever used to. On March 12, 1976, Staff Sergeant Keith Harrison was alone in his car when he responded to a hold-up alarm at a nearby credit union. He was unable to request backup because of a radio malfunction, but attempted to follow the culprit's vehicles as it left the scene. A shootout ensued, and Staff Sergeant Harrison was shot in the abdomen. He died hours later on the operating table. Staff Sergeant Harrison was a 16-year veteran who had just been promoted to Staff Sergeant of Detectives. He was survived by his wife and two teenage children. As a result of that incident, 500 bulletproof vests were purchased in 1976. Constable Bill Shulver was shot on May 24, 1977. On that evening, the 32-year-old rookie and his partner, Constable Jack Peterson, spotted a man who fit the description of an armed robbery suspect. Without warning, the suspect pulled a gun and demanded the officer's weapons. While attempting to disarm him, Constable Shelver was shot in the head. Constable Shelver died two days later on May 26. Constable Shelver was survived by his wife as well as his daughter, born a few months after his death. As a result of that incident, police ammunition was upgraded to improve stopping power and improved officer safety procedures were implemented. The Calgary Police Force has now issued Glock semi-automatic weapons. Calgary's tactical unit manages high-risk incidents like these with all kinds of specialized equipment, some developed by the team themselves. The incidents that the modern tactical unit responds to includes weapons and are outside the scope of a standard patrol response such as hostage rescue and high-angle operations and explosives, also in the execution of search warrants. In 2011, they were involved in 300 planned operations and more than 500 calls for service. The unit now includes its own armored vehicles. Harvey Gregorish retired from the police force on December 17, 1990. Jim Bergen retired in April 1994. Tom Barrow retired as staff sergeant in March of 1988. Doug Bolton, although promoted to detective in 1976, retired from the service in 1977 to move to BC. Kit Sylvester went on to help in developing the weapons training and held a position on the task force to research Code 300 procedures during the time the tactical unit was being implemented. He retired in May 1989. Frank Lillies of the military joined CPS, or the Calgary Police Service, in 1976 and retired from service in 1991. And that was the story of Calgary's Black Friday and the death of Detective Boyd Davidson. It sounds like he would be exceptionally proud of the continued evolution and work of the Calgary Police Service. And I wish his surviving family and all the officers interviewed by YouthLink very well. And again, a special thank you to YouthLink and to Calgary Police Service. I'll be back next week with another story. I have some really great ones planned for you this season. Thanks so much for listening.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.